On today's episode of the SSPX Podcast, we'll continue our apologetic series with an episode we're calling How to Be an Atheist. Father Paul Robinson will take on the two most common objections to the existence of God. First, we'll look at the problem of evil. How can a good God allow or permit evil to exist? Second, we'll look at the argument that basically nature and the world is simply self-explanatory. There just doesn't need to be a God or any purpose to existence at all. The argument goes, so how do we answer this? You can find notes to all of these episodes at sspxpodcast.com slash apologetics. There as well, you can find a link to help support this project. This is free to listen to as well as all of the resources that we're posting, but if you can help with a one-time or a small monthly recurring donation, you'll be making sure that we can continue this work of producing good Catholic content on a regular basis. Now, let's join Father Robinson for episode number two of our apologetic series. Father Robinson, thanks for joining us for this second episode on apologetics. Um, we, You gave me the notes ahead of time that you've been preparing for this, uh, and the title of it is interesting. Uh, it's titled, How to Be an Atheist. So uh, I'm not sure what your plans are for today, Father, uh, but I'm just going <laughs> to sit back and watch. <laughs> no, what are we talking about today, Father? Yeah, so... Um... I, I made that title because I, I want to give as as far as possible the strongest arguments that the atheists provide against the existence of God, um, and try to to be objective in evaluating those arguments, and also, of course, indicate why we would find those arguments lacking. Um, so, basically, in this uh, podcast, we want to look at the two main arguments that, that atheists give against the existence of God. Uh, these, these arguments appear in St. Thomas's most famous article in his Summa, where he asks, does God exist? Um, and there's two objections there. One, one of them is, is the objection from evil, and the other is the objection that basically you don't need God to explain anything. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, if, if we're thinking about where atheists are coming from, and why they would look around at the world and and say we don't need a god there, or there, there's uh, um, an intellectually compelling case for there not being a god. Basically, their main arguments are going to boil down to those two things. Um, so that's that's what we we got to do. We gotta we gotta try to see how they justify themselves. And what the atheists call the problem of evil. Um, this is nothing new. This is not like a new 21st century argument against the existence of God. Not at all. Not at all. This is one of the oldest arguments against the existence of God, basically saying that if there's a good God, then there should not be evil. If there's a good God who's also omnipotent, then there should not be evil. And as you say, the objection goes way, way back to the time of the Greeks when there was this great philosophical, philosophical ferment in the Greek world. So the famous philosopher Epicurus, uh, the, the philosopher from whom we get the term Epicureanism today, um, eat, eat, drink, and be merry, or tomorrow you die, sort of philosophy, live it up. Here's something that he wrote uh, back in the 4th century B.C. He, he said... God either wishes to take away evils and is unable, or he is able and unwilling, or he is neither willing nor able, or he is both willing and able. If he is willing and able, he is feeble, which is not in accordance with the character of God. If he is able and unwilling, 
he is malicious, which is equally at variance with God. If he is neither willing nor able, he is both malicious and feeble, and therefore not God. If he is both willing and able, which is alone suitable to God, from what source then are evils, or why does he not remove them? So from, from this perspective, there's, there's those four different possibilities um, for who God is. Only one of them really fits the true notion of God, uh, Epicurus rightly points out, and that is God is both omnipotent and he, he, would be, he, he doesn't like evil, he shouldn't want evil. Um, so if we admit that God is omnipotent, that he has the capacity to remove all evil, then how is it that evil exists? And so if evil exists, there must not be an omnipotent, all good God, right? So okay. that, that, is, that is the objection. That is the objection. And this, this language by Epicurus, it tries to kind of pin us into a corner. It says, look, I've, I've got four possibilities here. These are the only things that are possible. And for none of these situations, can you justify there being a God? And it's interesting that, that St. Thomas, St. Thomas Aquinas, he, he effectively says, well, there is another possibility. There is another possibility uh, um, <laughs> that's not included in those four. So I'll just, I'll just read you what St. Thomas says, and um, it's going to take quite a bit to unpack, but here's what he says. He says, God neither wills evil to be done, nor wills it not to be done, but wills to permit evil to be done, and that this is a good. So it's, hmm. it's not God wants evil, nor does he want to prevent evil, but he wills to permit evil. So he's, he's not going to step in and prevent evil from happening, but he's, he's going to allow it to happen in certain situations so that good may come from it. Um, so we, we have to try to explain what that means. Right, because I was just going to say permitting something to be done is sort of the same thing as willing it to be done, isn't it? I mean, isn't that, at, at first glance, it seems like kind of just a distinction on terms only. Well, um, it, it, there is, there's a real difference there. I think of you, you know, when you're raising your kids, Andrew, and, and you're, you're telling your children, um, for instance, you tell your, your children, don't, don't take candy from the store. And um, later on, you know, you... you you, at the same time, you want to give your children a certain um, room to, to act on their own, to see if, if they're going to do the good. Is, is, is your child actually going yeah. to follow the good that you've commanded them to do? So you're going to let your child maybe wander around the store for a bit and then um, see what he does. And if, if, if he does evil... Well, it's going to be an occasion, right? It's going to be an occasion for you to, to correct your son and, and say, you know, I told you you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> so you will, I in see. that case, to okay. permit the evil to happen, but you didn't tell him, go steal the candy. Um, right. So, so okay. we're going to say this is, this is something similar to what God does. But I, I think, first of all, it's, it's really important for us to understand what we mean by evil. Um, what, what exactly is evil? What is good? What is evil? Um, and 
really how we would understand evil in its truest sense is that somehow it is parasitical on the good. The evil does not exist on its own. Whenever we as human beings, when we say, that's bad, um, what we're really saying is that you have a situation where something should be there, but it's missing, it's, it's absent. Um, think about when you're, you're sick, you have, you have a cold or you have the flu. Um, we, we're saying this is, this is not good because something's absent. My normal state of health is not there. Or a man is afflicted with blindness. You say, well, this is not good. It's, ba- it's bad. It's an evil. But what's, what's happening is, is his eyesight is missing. Or if someone dies, um, we, we, we say this, this, is, this is an evil. Um, and we would call it an evil because there's something that's, that's missing, and that, and that is life. Life is, is not there anymore. Um, so we, even when it comes to moral evils, we, if, you, if you think about um, a sin of adultery, for instance, you have, you have two people um, doing something that, that can be good in itself, uh, but what's, what's missing is, is that, that committed relationship between them, that, that they're married, but not to one another. It's, there's not, it's not the right context um, for this act. So I think if we, if we look carefully at all the things that we call evil, we will realize that we identify a situation Well, normally there would be something there, um, and, and we would call that good, but it's not there. And so we're calling it an evil. Um, and why do I bring this up? In the context of, of God, in relation to God, and and this is to to say that that God never does evil. So, in other words, when we think about God as as we talked about in the first podcast, we spoke of God as the source of the being of all things. So God gives existence to all things, and and that is a good um, the, to to give being to things. He makes things exist. He he sustains them in existence. So that, that's a positive thing. It's something good. And if that's his role, he can give existence to evil as such. Evil just does not exist on its own. You know, he's like, he can't just say, I'm just going to create some evil over here. Um, because there's no such thing as evil, like primitive evil or incarnate evil. Um, there is only after something exists and that thing somehow fails in some way. Um, it, it, it falls short of what it's supposed to be, do we start talking about evil? But God, is, as creator, his role is he just makes things exist. So he only does good. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't do evil. If, if, if all he does is give things existence, if he makes things be, um, then he's not causing evil of himself. And uh, perhaps, perhaps an atheist would, would admit that. Um, and would say, well, okay, fine. God is just making things exist, but he's also allowing things to fail. He's, he's setting up a situation where things could fail later on. He's not causing them to fail, but he's setting up a situation where they could fail. And, and we have to ask ourselves, is it, is it, is it God's responsibility that, that not just to give things being, but also to make sure that they never fail? In their being. Um, okay. So, so this is the second part of what Epicurus is saying. He's saying 
all right, so we've already answered that God doesn't necessarily cause evil. Now let's answer the question, uh, should he be willing or able to stop it or prevent it? Yeah. Well, Epicurus is saying God has the capacity to prevent evil. And if if he has the capacity to do so and he's not doing so, then he's not right. good. He's not good. Then right. um, he's a atheist would, Yeah. Well, a- atheists would, would say, um, you know, just take any person who's who's in the presence of something going wrong, they should step in and, and take care of it. If they have the power to stop the evil, they should step in and take care of it. And if, if God has this capability of stepping in and taking care of it, and he's not doing so, then he's not really God. And it's hard to say that there is a God, if that's the case. Um, but of course, what, what we're going to say is, is that if God stepped in and, and prevented absolutely every evil, then he's also going to have to shut down a lot of goods, that, that God is somehow constrained in his role as, as creator. If he's going to create an order of the universe and give things a certain nature, um, well, there's, there's going to necessarily be conflict between some of the things that exist in, in the order of the universe and where, where, where one thing is, is going to kind of impinge on the territory of another or cause some damage um, to that other and, and profit at that same time. And so, um, yeah, we're going to say that that being omnipotent, <clears throat> being omnipotent does not mean that you can cause every good without there being any evil. You're able to cause a lot of good, but not all the good. And if you want to cause more of the goods, you're going to have to allow some failure. Just like we were talking about with your with your son, if if you want the moral improvement of your son, he's going to improve more um, if you allow him to fail in some situations and then say, son, you shouldn't do that. And you know now, you know, that from, from the effects of what you've done, that, that this is not good. This is not good behavior. And that experience will make him a better person than he would be than if you were standing on top of him at every single moment, you know, and making sure, like holding his hand back every time he, he wants to do something right. bad. Right. I mean... My my oldest is 16, has his driver's license. I could <laughs> prevent him from doing all evil and lock him in his room and keep him there and literally take him with me to mass every... I mean, I could do all that, or I could allow him to drive around and go to a friend's house and trust that he will do the good, you know, which is right. better. Right. And then, well, you, you expect, because he's 16, you know, he's not... He's not a fully mature adult that he's gonna he's gonna right. mess up sometimes. He's he's not gonna be. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I trust your parenting. I'm sure you're a great father, <laughs> but but at, all, we'll all, all all teenage kids um, are teenage kids, and 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 they're they're not gonna make the best decisions all the time. Um, and so, right. well, um, that will allow a situation for a good father son talk. And you're just like, look, son. Um, I hope you learn from this, and let's go over what 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 happened there, and and let's let's not let's make sure that uh, we make better decisions next time. That sort of thing. Um, yeah. So anyway, let's just let's just look at the, the types of evil that that we find in the world. I, I want to distinguish two different types of evil, and see to what degree um, God is constrained to that. What how if we if we believe in a good God, how we could see that he might want to permit 
some evils so that there be these goods. And in the, in the words of St. Thomas, that he wills to permit some evil, and that is a good, because there's going to be more good if he, if he permits some evil. Whereas if he um, created a world where there was, there was, you know, he was always stepping in and, there, and there, no evil ever happens, um, it's going to be restricted and it's good. So we're going to see between two different types of evil. One is, is physical pain, physical suffering, um, and, and the other is moral evil. Someone, uh, a moral agent, someone has rationality, they, they know the proper way to behave, and they commit a crime. Um, they commit a fault or morally, a morally wrong behavior, what, what we as Catholics would call a sin. Um, so there's, there's the physical suffering, and then there's the willful agent choosing to do what is wrong. And I think what we have to understand is that God is constrained with regards to both of these types of evils, that if he will to prevent all physical evil, then there would be goods absent from this world. And if he wanted to prevent all moral evil, there would also be goods absent from this world. So um, when we look, let's look first of all at pain and suffering. If God, um, well, what what we have to note is that is that when there's there's pain and suffering, um, often it's a case of of sort of one thing um, profiting at the expense of another thing. If a if a lion uh, kills a gazelle, he's he's profiting um, from the life of the gazelle to nourish his his own self. Or uh, there's this author Brian Davies who writes about God and the problem of evil. And he, he actually quotes another author who, who says, well, you know, if, if, if I have a headache in the morning after drinking five shots of whiskey, um, it's, it's because whiskey is simply doing what it does. Um, this, is, this is the nature. It's just whiskey behaving as whiskey. Or if there is um, an avalanche that, that comes down on a village, um, it's, it's simply snow or water acting in the way that water acts. Um, and it's, it's for the good of the water, as it were, <clears throat> to do what it's made to do, as so for the good of nature, for it to do what it's made to do. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's not good for the people in the village, um, or it's not good for the man who's, who's drank the whiskey, or, or, or whatever, or it's got not good for the, for the gazelle. Um, but for each of these situations... We can, we as human beings, can look at the situation and say, "What's happening here? What, what, what's happening is simply these. The, the lion has the nature of a lion; it's a, it's a predator, and so it nourishes itself from other animals. Um, or water is heavy, and it, it acts under the force of gravity. So there's there's a scientific explanation for what's happening. Um, it's not like God is smiting people um, by 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 the avalanche. Um, they, they, they built their village at the foot of a mountain. Okay, they knew that this was possible, right? And um, water is just doing what, what water does. So um, in all these cases, we have some, one thing thriving at the expense of another thing. And if you say, well, God should step in 
and he should prevent it from happening. He should prevent the lion killing the gazelle. Um, and he's like, well, if he does that, then lions can't be lions. There can't be any lions. You can't have a world with, with carnivores, with, with predators um, in the animal world. I think a lot of us would, would feel like there was something missing from the world if there was no, there was no lions. It's, it's, it's great to have lions in the animal kingdom, you know, king of the jungle and, and, and so on. Or if, if God stepped in and prevented water from acting like water at every time, um, it's like no, no hurricanes, no avalanches, whatever, um, that would upset the order of nature. So water has to have the properties of water and do what it does. And it's just going to happen that sometimes that's going to conflict with other things that, that, that might exist, um, in, including human beings. So if God um, wants to create an order of nature, he's going to have to uh, make it possible for, for there to be some goods that are compromised by other goods. So some things pursuing what they're made to do are going to impinge on other things pursuing what they're made to do, and that's just the way it's going to be. So um, let me just read this this quote from Edward Fazer, the, the famous Thomas philosopher. He says, When a, lion, a lamb is eaten by a lion, the damage to the lamb amounts to a set of privations. For example, the absence of a limb flesh, or skin that is torn away. Though bad considered in itself, the damage also plays a necessary part of a larger good, namely the flourishing of the lion. Lions of their nature can't be the kinds of things they are without hunting prey like lambs. So that having the good of their being lions presupposes the bad of lambs being killed. In causing a world in which lambs are eaten by lions then, God does not cause evil as such. Rather, he causes a world in which certain goods, namely the good of lambs having all their limbs, flesh, and so on, unmolested, those goods are absent, and these privations are not willed by him for their own sake, but rather as a concomitant of the good of their being lions and existence. So there's this choice on the part of God. Either, either we have a world where, where there's, there's lambs, but there's no predators of lambs, or a world where their lambs do have predators, but we get to have lions. We, we get to have this reality of these incredible animals um, that we call lions. And, you know, we, we know what God chose. He, he chose for there to be lions. Um, and he allows, he permits the, the evil of some animals being eaten so that there can be this, this fact of there being lions. Um, um, Edward Fazer there uses a, a $5 word, concomitant. What does that mean, Father? Concomitant, so um, it goes with it. So with, if, if we okay. have this good of there being lions, there's going to be something that goes with it, a concomitant that goes with it, and, and that is okay. uh, the evil of, of some animals being eaten by lions. And okay. in, that, in that book... Um, that I was speaking about by Father Brian Davies. He said, some evil exists as a necessary concomitant to goods of various kinds. And this, this is the, basically the whole answer that, that we want to give to the problem of evil. Um, we can say that 
Well, in order to have certain goods in this world, God is going to have to permit there to be certain evils, um, such as sickness and ill health. Even, even with, with um, things like germs or, or cancer or viruses, all these things are simply acting according to their nature. They're, they're thriving at our expense, right? Um, they're doing their, their thing. And um, in, in all these situations, one thing is, is thriving at the expense of, of another. But, but if any sort of order that you make uh, in the material world, um, just by the nature of material things, um, in, where you have each thing acting according to its nature, one thing is going to come into conflict with, with another. I really don't think that, that it's even possible, metaphysically possible, for God to create a world where there's not going to be any conflict between material creatures. Just by their nature, with things being hot and cold, wet and dry, or whatever, um, there, there's, there's going to be one thing impinging upon another. All right. So that's, that's natural evil. Um, then we get into a little bit more tricky territory, at least in my mind, uh, when we yeah. talk about moral evil, someone choosing evil or choosing to not do good, I guess. Um, how, how does that play into the equation, Father? Yeah, so with, with moral evil, again, we're talking about now not, not um, agents, physical agents is acting according to their nature. We're talking about rational agents who understand what is good and what is right, and they choose to act against that. And in this case, instead of um, one thriving at the expense of another, rather what you have is uh, the, uh, a lose-lose situation. The, the moral agent who is committing a moral fault is acting against himself. And this is something we can do as rational agents, um, we can choose to act against ourselves. Uh, we may think that it's acting in our good, so we're pursuing some apparent good. Like the, the question of the adultery, um, they, they may think that this is some apparent good, this is in their best interest, but in fact they're acting against themselves, what their proper behavior, and they're kind of destroying themselves. Um, they're also uh, hurting the the one who's uh, the recipient of their sin. So and we can we can ask ourselves once more, why would God um, allow moral evil when He could prevent it? If if God can stop sinning from happening, why would why would He allow it? Why would He permit it? So again, we we don't we don't say at all that God um, does the evil. God is not a party to people's sins. Um, he's he's not encouraging them or assisting them or condoning them doing wrong, um, but he is on many occasions not stepping in and preventing them from from doing the evil that they choose to do. And well, why why would he do that? Um, we would say again uh, for the same reason that that there are certain goods that can only be present in this world if God allows there to be some evil. Um, so I, I, uh, I want to quote from Edward Fazer again. He, he does such a good job of explaining these sorts of things. And this is from his book, uh, Five Proofs for the Existence of God. And at the end of the book, he just sees all the objections to the existence of God. He sees many more than two, but as I say, the, these, these two are the main ones. Um, so he gives some examples of what 
God achieves by permitting some evil in this world, some moral evil in this world, what goods are achieved. He says, acts of forgiveness and mercy are not possible unless there are people who actually do evil things for which they can be forgiven, and therefore deserves punishments which we might mercifully refrain from inflicting. For people freely to choose to act in a forgiving or merciful way, then, is possible only in a world in which other people have actually chosen to do evil. Then there are moral virtues which do not presuppose that some people choose to carry out evil actions, but which still presuppose that there exists evil of other sorts. For example, you cannot have courage unless there is danger in the face of which you are tempted to avoid doing your duty, but choose to do it anyway. You cannot show compassion unless there are people who have suffered misfortunes of some sort, whether it be illness, the death of a loved one, unemployment, or whatever, and toward whom you can act compassionately. You cannot choose to sacrifice something for the sake of either your own moral improvement or the good of another person without thereby losing the good thing that you are sacrificing and so forth. So you, you think about a world where God ensures that there's only good. If, if that were the case, then there would be certain virtues that could never be practiced. There are certain good acts that could never be practiced. There would, there would for instance, there would be no heroes um, whatsoever. There would be no heroic actions to be done. There would be no mercy to be shown. There would be no one to be saved. Um, there would be no courage necessary. Um, and as a result, people would not reach the same level of human perfection that, that is, is possible in a world where there, there is conflict, there is temptation, there is evil to be fought against. Um, think of a world where you can never write a crime novel <laughs> because there's no crime. <laughs> you know, right. it's like, yeah. Or at, a very, or at a very basic, almost silly example, I mean, if, if, I, if I wasn't rude to you like I am all the time, Father, then you, <laughs> then you would have no opportunity to practice patience and virtue and forgiveness towards me. Right, right, and that's why I really appreciate right. you being rude. Uh, of course, you're you're making that up, but <laughs> but uh, I, I do, yeah. I, do I mean, I keep you, keep Father. doing it, uh, Andrew. You're 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 just sanctifying me, and I appreciate when you when you do that what for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so that's very interesting. I mean, yeah, uh, we we I, I think when we when we have this discussion, hopefully we see that it's not always evil to permit some evil, to stand back um, if you anticipate that there is some good to be achieved that could not be achieved otherwise than you permitting that evil. Um, so, you know, I, as we said, if, if, you, if you lock your 16-year-old up in his, in his room day after day and just say, look, um, I, I am afraid of you ever doing anything wrong and so this is the safest way to prevent it from happening. Um, then it would be the, the consequences would be disastrous. Um, whereas it's okay. it's similar for our world if if God stepped in at every moment, you know, um, and prevented us from doing evil, then it it would not be good for the human race. I you know I, I wrote a Quora answer one time just to give the, this sort of perspective, and and basically I said. If if God stepped in at every single moment and prevented us from doing evil, we we would feel like we couldn't even act 
You know, we, it's yeah. like we, 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 we wouldn't go forward to do it. Eventually, we wouldn't go forward to do anything. We would like, feel like we would be held back every single time. Um, and this would not be good for our own development. Um, God has to allow us to, to fail and realize our own limitations and seek to strive to be better um, for us in ourselves, in ourselves to improve and become better people. Um, that, and that's the way it works with us working with other people as well. That makes sense. Um, can I ask about some more tricky situations or difficult scenarios that are often brought up when we talk about this problem of evil and God allowing evil? And and that is um, horrible examples, you know, like a, like a miscarriage or, um, you know, children being killed by horrible people. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any, at least as I'm asking you the question right now, doesn't seem to be any redemption or redemptive uh, or any positive attribute to some of those horrible things or like a genocide or something, you know, you think of the most horrible aspects of human nature and things that we have done. Um, what about those examples, Father? Yeah. Yeah, and so um, when we have this principle that, okay, God's going to draw good out of evil, some sometimes the atheists say, well, what about this situation over here? How can there possibly be any good coming from this? Um, and... You know, I, I mean, I, I would hope that the atheists would at least see where we're coming from uh, with, with the, and understand that concept that there are certain goods that cannot be attained unless there is some evil that is permitted. Um, but as far as the more difficult situations where it's, it's hard for us who have a very limited view of, of this world, very limited view of history, only live a short time in this life, uh, it's hard for us to see the overall picture um, the overall order that God has placed into the universe. And I, I think when, when we get to those difficult cases, it's, it's important for us to, to propose to the atheists a scenario, which is basically the same this is a scenario of, that we have by faith, that, that we believe that God has created a certain order, and that in the context of that greater order, then everything will make sense. Um, so I, I just want to talk a little bit about about what we believe as Catholics about who God is and the way He makes everything fair for everybody. Um, and it's it's not going it's not something like like in, in the answer to this objection, um, we're, we're not able to prove conclusively um, what what we we want to establish. But but we are able to propose a situation where we say well. If things were this way, would you agree that God would be fair and and that that he would not somehow be evil himself by permitting these evils? So um, what what we would say is that from our perspective, what we believe as as Catholics is that that God um, did not create us to be in this world forever. That's obvious that we all die, and that there are some things that are unfair in this life. Um, life is not fair, is a famous saying. And God will set things right. And in this life, we only have partial justice. Sometimes we get what, what is fair. Um, sometimes we don't. Sometimes the evil triumph over the good, or, or they get their own advantage, and the good are oppressed, or the innocent are oppressed. Um, but we, we believe that, that after this life, 
um, complete justice will be given to all by God, that he will judge us as according to how we've lived, and that he will either reward us or punish us, uh, whether we've done good or bad. And if we're not made for this, for this life, but we're, we're made for a life here to come, then those who, for instance, um, don't even get a chance at life, um, there's, there's a miscarriage, um, or <clears throat> there's, there's an abortion, or the, the, the baby is stillborn, or the baby has sudden infant death syndrome, you know, and, and dies suddenly, that in the next life, God, God will either give them heaven or give them a place of natural happiness. Um, so if this life is not the complete story, and the story goes on, and that in the next life, um, you will get either a reward or punishment according to what you've done, then then the, the suffering that is that is here below, it, that happens here below, the evils that happen here below will be rectified. They're not the end of the story. Um, God's going to step in and make everything right. So, you know, um, we, we would propose this to, to, that to, to the atheists to, to say that even in, in things like genocide or um, children who, who are cut off from their life at, at a very young age, um, that, that God will set things right after this life is over. Okay. So there will be justice one way or the other. There will be a reward one way or the other. The justice will carry over into eternity one way or the other and that is what we need to have faith in when we're faced with situations where it seems like the bad guys are always winning the bad guys are always getting away with stuff and the and the good people are suffering right right so as i say um all i would want from the atheists at this point was would just to 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 answer the question if this was going to happen if if this was actually real that after this life everyone is given what what they deserve for based on their actions in this life and that for those who didn't even have a chance in this life they're actually given another life um, where they will be happy and they will not the evils will be gone there will be no more evil so you know we, we believe that that after this life there is there's a place where there's only good and there's a place where there's only evil it's it's only in this life that there's both evil and good mixed together and if, if you're good in this life, then you go to a place that's all good. And if you were evil in this life, you go to a place where there's all evil. You basically get what you deserve or get, get the form of life that you chose in this life. You just continue that life after this life is over. Can we talk a little bit more about this concept uh, that you brought up at the beginning, Father? This concept is called uh, nature explains itself. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So, so that is the, the second objection, the second main objection that atheists bring forward against the existence of God. Um, they basically say, <clears throat> well, you, um, you know, you're, you're proposing that there is a supreme being, but in fact, nature explains itself. You're, there is no need of a supreme being to explain nature. Um, uh, nature has this total and complete sufficient reason for its existence in itself. And of course, in the first episode, we saw that that, that cannot be the case, that, that the things around us have um, are contingent in their existence, 
They, they do not have in themselves their own sufficient explanation for why they're there. And so they demand a higher explanation for their very existence. But atheists often don't accept these metaphysical arguments. Um, they, they, will, they will not even talk in those sorts of terms. And they will uh, often only accept things from the scientific point of view. And, and so they will, their, their natural strategy would be to look out over the universe and to somehow establish that the universe explains itself on the scientific level. And to do that, they, they basically have to try to prove um, that the universe is not ordered. Um, it's, it's, it's very, very simple. You can't, you can't look at the universe and say, wow, that is so complex um, that the universe itself must, must have been put together by a great mind. They, they have to try to somehow attribute to the universe the attributes of God, that it's, that it's infinite, that it's absolutely simple, that it's somehow unchanging, that it's, that it's eternal, self-existing. And then they would be able to claim, well, you know, where, where does God come in? There's nothing that God needs. If this is the way the universe is, there's nothing that God needs to do. Yeah. Um, so, and, and they also would say then that if this is the case, then there is no such thing as free will, because if everything is just following along on the path that it's already been, that just is, then we as, as humans have really no free will. Is that right? Yeah. So the, the atheists that are completely logical, uh, they would even come to that conclusion they have to advocate a great reductionism, what is called a great reductionism. They look at the great things that we see around us, and they try to reduce them to their the least components. A lot of the atheists are materialists. They say that the only thing that exists is material things. And there there is no direction in the universe. There is no order in the universe. All that you have is just chaos, and things are just colliding one with another. And if there is anything that exists around us, um, it's just the long-term result of random processes, not of some carefully choreographed sequence that has been put there by a transcendent mind. So um, that's, for, for instance, the position of Lawrence Krauss, um, a famous one of the famous new atheists, you know, like like uh, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris. Lawrence Krauss, these, these guys are uh, part of the group called the New Atheist. And he wrote a book called The Universe from Nothing, where he tries to say that <clears throat> the universe somehow spontaneously popped into existence, and, and the universes do that all the time, and that there's no direction to the universe. We're not going anywhere. There's no purpose to, its all, to it all. Because if you, if you saw a purpose, if you looked at the universe, you said, wow, there's, there's clearly an intent. There's clearly a direction. The universe is preloaded to go in a certain direction. Then you would conclude that someone put that purpose there. Um, so he says there's no purpose in the universe. Um, and he says it's great that there's no purpose. That, there's, that it's, it, it gives great meaning to him that there's no meaning. And somehow <laughs> is, is his position. Um, and then there's, a, there's another atheist who's also a scientist. His name is Jerry Coyne. And he denies the existence of free will because he just thinks that what's going on in us 
is purely material processes. There's no spiritual reflection. There's, there's no uh, spiritual choice that is made by us. And he, he explains it in, in this way. Free will is ruled out simply and decisively by the laws of physics. Your brain and body, the vehicles that make quote-unquote choices, are composed of molecules, and the arrangement of those molecules is entirely determined by your genes and your environment. Your decisions result from molecular-based electrical impulses and chemical substances transmitted from one brain cell to another. These molecules must obey the laws of physics, so the outputs of our brain, our quote-unquote choices, are dictated by those laws. After deliberating about your choices in advance, sorry, and deliberating about your choices in advance doesn't help matters, for that deliberation also reflects brain activity that must obey physical laws. So, like this conversation that we're having, this discussion about God, um, is just the result of chemical processes going on in our brains. I did not choose to drive over to the church, get in the church office, set up my computer, and you didn't choose to go to your office and set up the computer in order to have a discussion about the existence of God and, and these objections of the atheist. It's just we're following chemical laws, physical laws. Help, Gray. And it, so basically, it's, it's because you and I already emailed last week and said we would do this. I am essentially now through these chemical functions compelled to follow up and do it. I, I really have no choice in the matter to do that or not. Right. And he's saying even if uh-huh. you premeditated it, well, that when you went to s- send that email, it was still the same thing. You were still just following chemical right. law. Yeah. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's it's logical. It's logical. If you just believe that the sure. only thing that exists are material things, then you have to explain absolutely everything in material terms. Um, everything is just simply following physics. It's brute, the brute laws of nature is, is all that is manifested. But, like you said, I, w- I want to follow up on that real quick for a second because... Because you said it's very logical, and it is. And and Jerry Coyne, I don't know anything about him, but he's obviously a very intelligent guy. And we saw this in the Crisis in the Church series, where all of these things that were done, all these errors that were promulgated, were very logical if you start with a faulty conclusion or a faulty uh, premise, then yes, then it's all logical. And we're seeing kind of the same thing here. He's starting with the faulty premise that there is no higher being or spirituality, it's all physical. Therefore, this is how it must work. Yes. And then, and of course, he has to involve himself in great contradiction um, because he he purposefully, he obviously purposefully and willfully tries to convince a lot of people that they have no free will. Uh, it, it just, the, 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 the purpose is palpable. <laughs> the free choice is palpable right. to anybody who has any human experience. Like well, well, Jerry, why why are you choosing and, and so motivated to convince people that they don't have free choice? Um, it's it's just very contradictory. Yeah. So, um, what what I would I would like to do, Andrew, is is maybe in 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 the rest of this um, podcast, just talk a little bit about the physical universe and how it really manifests okay. that that it has an intricate order and needs. Uh, a transcendent being to explain it, 
And then in the next podcast, we could look at the biological world, uh, the different life forms, and how they also manifest okay. that nature does not explain itself. So we're, we're going to right. be talking more on the scientific level. We've already considered the metaphysical level, but I think a lot of atheists out there, they won't accept that. They're just like, metaphysics doesn't work. If you're going to talk to me, you need to talk to me on my territory, and my territory is science. So right. what's, what's, what's fascinating is um, the history of science basically in the past 150 years and how so many of the scientific discoveries have been made. And the, the atheists were really hoping that science would yield a universe like what they wanted, uh, a self-explaining universe um, one that was like infinite in size, <clears throat> one that was just radically simple. There's no complexity. You, you wouldn't look at it and say, wow, this is choreographed in an extremely incredible way. Um, you would just look at it and say, oh, you know, it, it's so basic. Uh, it, 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 it doesn't need somebody to explain it. And also that, that it's, it would be eternal. Um, it, it would, if the universe had, like, had no beginning and has no end, um, it would be easier to believe that somehow <clears throat> it doesn't need God to exist. We would know because of metaphysics it would still need God to exist, to bring right. it, to sustain it and exist at every moment. But it might appear that it, to, to some who don't do metaphysics that it doesn't need a God. Well, what happened was um, Einstein... Uh, came up with his theories of relativity um, to to propose the the constant speed of light and the the way to to measure light relative the, the movement of light relative to another body um, that the measurement of light is going to be different depending on your position in relation to that light and his theory for it to to work it it had to correspond to a universe that was finite um, and to a universe that was expanding. Um, so, so that type of universe is, is one that um, is, is not infinite in size and also would have a beginning in time. And what is interesting is that, that Einstein's theory has been confirmed by, by many different experiments. But it was especially confirmed by Edwin Hubble's observation of uh, the Milky Way galaxy and the various stars that we see from the Earth uh, from the Mount Wilson Observatory in Los Angeles. This was in the early 1900s. And he was measuring the light that's taken from the stars. And it turns out that when you look at the light, it contains a ton of information about the body that's emitting the light, including the movement of that body. Um, whether that body is moving away from you or moving towards you. And so what he detected is that the, the all, almost all the bodies that we observe in the universe, are uh, their light is what's called red-shifted. So, so if, you, if you think of uh, Roy G. Biv, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with Roy G. Biv. It's oh, yeah. <laughs> the colors on the rainbow. Yeah, the you colors know? of the rainbow, yeah. Yeah, like red, orange, blue, or red, orange, yellow, you know, and so on. Um, but on, on the one end of the spectrum, for the wavelengths that are more compressed, it's, it's blue and violet. 
And on the other end of the spectrum, the, the wavelengths that are, that are stretched, more stretched out, it's red. So it turns out it's like the Doppler effect, but, but when a body is moving away from you and it's emitting light towards you, its light's going to be stretched out towards the red end of the spectrum. And when it's moving towards you, the light's going to be more compressed towards the blue end. So they call that blue shifting, and the, the body moving away is called red shifting. Um, and okay. you know how, how when you have like a train going by, the, the, the sound waves are yeah. distorted depending on whether it's coming towards you or going away from you. And you, you hear the, the pitch change in the sound. So right. it's, it's similar with these, with these bodies with the light that happens with the light. Okay. Um, and what, what he discovered is, is that all the bodies um, in, in, that we view are um, moving away from us. They're all red shifted. Um, and that doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that the Earth is the, is the center of the universe um, because you could have like a balloon that is expanding. Every, if you had every point on the balloon, as it expands, every other body is going to be moving away. All bodies are going to be moving away from one another with there being no, no center. So if that's, if that's the case, if that's the observed evidence that the, that the universe is expanding, and you go back in time, the universe is contracting as you go back to time, until you get to like a single point, the, the universe originating in a single point. And this, this is something that um, was actually proposed by a Catholic priest who was working on uh, Einstein's theory. He was trying to draw the consequences of Einstein's theory. So Father Georges Lemaitre, a Belgian priest, he proposed that the universe began as a single atom, like the, what he called the primal atom. And there was also some some predictions made um, that that if that was the case, that the universe started as a primeval atom and expanded, and it's been expanding ever since, until you get to the present day and we're still expanding, um, then in fact there would be this radiation that would permeate the entire universe uh, called cosmic background microwave radiation. And in, in 1953, some, some uh, scientists working for Bell Labs um, they actually detected this, this radiation. They discovered this radiation that permeates all of space. It's kind of um, a long-term after effect of, of that initial birth of the universe. Um, so so these, these are incredible discoveries that indicate that the universe had a beginning in time, that it's finite, and that its development is very, very carefully choreographed. Um, and scientists have come up with a term called fine-tuning, and, and they, they look at the properties of matter, and they say if, if, if the universe began with a very, very dense um, point of extremely intense energy, then what do the properties of the universe have to be? What are the fundamental physical forces of the universe have to be for things like atoms and, and molecules and the elements of the periodic table, for all of them to form. Um, and what they discovered is that the physical constants, like the strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force, the electromagnetic force, the force of gravitation, and, and a lot of other sort of constants that are built into the universe have to be exactly what they are, or matter as we know it would not form, stars and galaxies would not form, um, and, and so on. So, yeah, it was, 
it, it was like the the atheists were were really hoping um, that the universe would would be very homogenous and self-explanatory, but their own science um, showed a very very intricate order, an incredible order, um, and you know the many of them today, the the vast majority would um, accept the the so-called Big Bang Theory, um, that the universe began with this initial burst of energy. And and everybody always asks, well, what what was before the Big Bang? Um, The scientists would say, well, it seems like space and time began with that, that there was no space and time before that. Um, so if space and time began at that point, then then it has to be caused by some being outside of space and time. And this is an argument we would give to the atheist. Um, that, that so-called Kalam cosmological argument I mentioned in the last um, podcast, you know, it's not a metaphysical argument. It doesn't get to um, a, as, as thick of a God um, as... as the Christian God that comes from metaphysical argumentation. Um, but still, you, you need a supreme being standing outside of time who has transcendent intelligence and has all this power, this quasi-omnipotent power over matter. Well, totally omnipotent power over matter is able to make matter appear out of nothing, you know. Um, so it's it's definitely more obvious today than... It has ever been the universe, what we know about the universe today, the evidence that we have of its intricate order and its origin, um, a point to God in a much stronger way than, than the, the basic information we would have had even like 200 years ago. Um, and I, I think it's, it should be compelling evidence for an atheist who's sincerely and objectively looking at the evidence of it, what his own science is showing him. Yeah. I, Father, you and I talked about this topic in a related fashion maybe three, four years ago when yes. we talked about the Big Bang Theory in one of our Questions with Father episodes. Uh, maybe one of the first ones we did. I don't remember. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I remember commenting to you at the time that could God have created the universe as it exists today and just said, star here, star here, star, just could he have done that? Absolutely. He could have. Um, and I remember saying to you at the time, but it's more fascinating and it inspires more awe if you believe that the Big Bang happened and that God then caused everything to happen and is keeping an eye over it and made all the rules of physics and nature. And that's almost more impressive than just here. Here it is. Boop, magic trick, right? Um, yes. It, these these discoveries of science, you know, looking at these images from the James Webb telescope, I don't know if you've seen yeah. the new ones. They're beautiful and they're amazing to me. That it helps my faith. Yeah, I mean th- that's what Scripture says: the heavens declare the glory of God. Um, and I mean it's 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 really really compelling evidence. I I honestly think if that evidence is looked at objectively, is it's, it's got to be hard to say there is no transcendent being behind all of this. Um, but there's there's something else as well that. I, I think is, is very nice, in the, and that is that um, God does not only want to manifest 
his his own divinity and and, and show us the, of his existence. So, but it's he also it's almost like you know how human beings we love scavenger hunts. Um, we we love things that are hidden. We like we like to find things yeah. that are hidden, and they give us a certain delight, joy, wonder to to do that. Um, and what yeah. God has done is He has embedded into the universe all these secrets, um, and yeah. He's just again He hasn't stepped in and, and said, "I'm going to tell you all the secrets up front." Um, but right. it's it's like science is almost like this um, extended scavenger hunt of the human race to discover the order that God has put behind the universe. And and whenever we we find something new, we're just like, wow. That's that's amazing, you know. Um, and hopefully, yeah. we we have that right reaction and take the next step and say, "Wow!" If if I, as a rational mind, am so impressed uh, by this order, what would be the mind that's actually behind it and, and embedded that into this world, into Absolutely. this incredible world? Um, and I, I think it gets back to to the problem of evil as well. It kind of relates to the problem of evil um, because. You know, the, the, the more pessimistic types might look at the world and say, wow, there's so much evil there. Um, and, and I would be like, well, well, you know, okay, there's, there's definitely evil out there, but yeah. don't miss the good. There's an awful lot of good. There is an incredible yeah. amount of good out there, stunning goodness, stunning beauty everywhere. Yeah. It's like everything we look yeah. at, you know, is stunningly beautiful. So... So yeah. um, perhaps that as well is an answer to the problem of evil. Yeah. That's a beautiful way to end it, Father. Um, and thank you for the for the inspiring ending. I know sometimes on these podcasts, we don't end in an inspiring way because, well, we just can't <laughs> on some topics. But uh, this one was one of the, the high notes. So thank you very much for that. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure, Andrew. And um, maybe... maybe next time in the next episode, we can just talk about the biological world, uh, life forms and see whether yep. uh, we find an intricate order in them as well. Spoiler, I bet we will. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think probably we will. All right. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for your time. We're looking forward to the next one. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Apologetic Series on the SSPX podcast and on our YouTube page. Please consider subscribing to the YouTube account and the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are found. And please consider leaving a rating or a review on this podcast. This will help to make sure more people can find this podcast and discover the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism. Until next time, thank you for joining us, and God bless you.